Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Omar Glass, CEO and co-founder of GrowthSpace, an outcome-driven employee development platform that's raised $44 million in funding. Omar, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, Brett. Great to be here. So to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and maybe just a bit more about your background? Sure. So uh, Omar Glass, co-founder and CEO at uh, GrowthSpace. I don't know how long you want to get into my background, but I have a master's in behavioral economics. I started my first startup during my master's that failed. It was a startup that tried to help people with uh, making better career decisions. So it's kind of like a little bit connected to what I'm doing today. Then I worked, so I started the two nonprofits and then I worked as a consultant in a management consultancy. Yeah, so spent my childhood in California most of my life uh, in Israel. And since then, I'm spending it between uh, Israel and the United States. So let's talk about that first startup. What do you think you got wrong? Why did it fail? So it was uh, an online school for career development. And I think my biggest lesson there was some people know how to do B2C, some people know how to do B2B. It was B2C and that's my biggest mistake. Like I think we could have made it if we were going a B2B. But uh, B2C is much more binary, like it's just you make it or you do not make it. And I think in B2B, you have more time for iterations. And uh, basically, you can learn for the market what works much better than you can do uh, B2C. Yeah, I've done B2B for the last 15 years now. And in the B2C world, I just don't understand it. I can't wrap my head around it. And I would just get destroyed if I ever tried to start a company in B2C, I, I think it just sounds so hard compared to B2B or so different. Definitely, 100%. But the, the thing is, some people will say the opposite. Like I spoke uh, with the BetterHelp's uh, CEO and he told me, dude, I don't get you B2B guys. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, some people get it. Yep, <laughs> that's funny. Now, a few questions we'd like to ask. And the goal here is really just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. First one is what founder do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? So I would say uh, read uh, Hastings, uh, the co-founder and CEO of uh, Netflix. And I think for me, a big part of it being a founder and a CEO, it's basically the culture you're building. And I'm a very big fan of uh, Netflix uh, culture. Actually, I bought the book for a lot of our management team because not only about the insights they got about the culture, how to make it right, like how to invest in your people, like how to know if the right people are there, the freedom you give them, et cetera. But it's more about how deep did it go into designing a culture and thinking what culture do I want to uh, create in my company? And I think a lot of their success is thanks to his culture. So yeah, I'm a big uh, fan of culture and I put a lot of thought and effort in our culture. So it's a great uh, role model. I've studied them a little bit, and or this is a few years back, but I believe the key takeaway I had was they really instill a culture of excellence. Do I have that right? A lot of companies have culture of excellence, but I think what he did nicely is he tried to break it down. He kind of like broke it uh, into components because again, culture of excellence, every company in the world uh, would claim. 
But a hard thing would be, when do I let go of people? For example, they have something called the, the keeper's test, where basically they're committed to whenever they think an employee, like let's say an employee comes to you and uh, they say, hey, Brad, uh, I want to leave. Would you fight for them or not? If you would fight for them, it means they need to be there. And if you wouldn't, and you kind of like, yeah, everything is okay, or you wouldn't fight hard, it means that they shouldn't have been there in first place. So this is like hard thing to do as a company to basically claim that everyone in the company is someone you would fight for, for example. So it's kind of like, and culture is about making hard decisions and uh, basically very hard metrics. It's not just the excellence. Yeah, everyone wants to be excellent, but not every company will be able to claim, yeah, I'm not keeping people who I wouldn't fight for. It answers the question. Yeah, that definitely does. And it sounds like it's almost like those core values that you see that everyone has, or, you know, everyone says that they're customer centric, but I interact with a lot of brands, like they don't feel customer centric all the time. So I think a lot of people probably say they have a culture of excellence, but actually operationalizing it and making it real is a completely different thing. Exactly. And I think employees know if values are fluff and if they're not like, yeah, excellent. Yeah, everyone wants to be excellent. But I think a good way or like a good methodology to define values would be to understand what is the trade-off of the value. And if this value is something that you can actually measure and can actually understand in the employee level if they're living up to the values or not, like what does it mean? So we did a lot of iterations there and I can say like every value, what is the downside of like the same value? You get what I'm saying? Yep. Makes complete sense. Now, another question we like to ask, and this is about books. And we took this from Ryan Holiday, who's an author in Texas. And what he calls them is a, a quake book. So he says a quake book is a book that like rocks you to your core. It really influences how you think about the world and how you approach life. Have you had any quake books or any, do any quake books come to mind for you? Sure. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of uh, Seth Godin. And I even I participated in his uh, Alt MBA workshop. And basically, I read all these books. I would say my favorite is kind of something not that famous. It's called The Free Pride Inside. And this is basically the sequel of Purple Cow, which is kind of like a well known book of his. And basically, in Free Pride Inside, he explains how do you make a purple cow. So basically, a purple cow, his story is like you're driving in France, you see, like with your kids. The first cow they see, hey, that a cow, and then the second one, third one, just it becomes part of the view, right? But then if you see a purple cow, it stands out. So it's kind of like how to create remarkable things or how to create something that, again, people will talk about or how to create something differentiated different eventually. So in Free Prize Inside, he basically breaks it down into a methodology he calls edge crafting which basically says, try to look at what there is in the world and then try to get to the edges. He gave an example in the book, for example, that there is a coffee shop in New York that just hires male and female role models. But everyone is there, like everyone of the staff is a role model. And then, you know, it's something unique. So not necessarily this is what you need to do in your company, hire just the role models, but just find different elements of the business and then go to the extreme. So I think it's kind of like, it helps you to think about your problem in a little bit different way. Nice. Yeah, I love that book. 
Let's switch gears and let's dive a bit deeper into the company. So can you just give us maybe the the elevator pitch, the very high level overview of what you do and the problem you solve? Of course. So uh, Growspace basically helps companies uh, develop their employees, which is a relatively straightforward thing that all companies do. So all companies uh, function called the learning and development, which is basically in charge of developing employees. Now, when you're developing employees, I can roughly divide it into two. Like some of the development you do on your own with a computer, you can think of, you know, your learning management system or YouTube or LinkedIn Learning. So this is what they call on-demand self-paced. And a big chunk of the development is done by humans. We call it basically human-to-human development. So you can think of your management training, your sales training, your customer success training, you can think about it as like a coaching when you met, you're matched with a coach, when you're matched with a mentor, when you're doing an internal mentoring within the company, I think you get the point. Now, this is basically our space. Now, the problem companies are facing with this space is that different types of employees and types of functions have a lot of different needs. So the average company brings in a lot of vendors in order to support their uh, development, the employee development. And each vendor needs to specialize in something different because, again, one we specialize in negotiation, one in sales, one in management, one in communications, one in agile, one in leadership, for example. And the problem is, so you have a lot of different vendors that you need to source, interview, contract, onboard, and then you're not really sure if they're good or not because you do not really have data on them. Then they're working with your people. So sometimes people do coaching, for example, and then you're just matched with the coach and no one knows what's going on there. Like they don't even know if you're meeting the coach or not. Just, you just know that you have a coach. And there is not really an ability to understand the impact of it. So you're doing your management training and then it's over. And then they're asking you, Brett, how was your management training? And then you say it was great, but maybe it sucked. But And you just say that it's great because you liked the facilitator, for example. So that's basically the problem we're solving. And Rollspace is basically a platform that does all of that and using technology in order to make it much better and to make it much more scalable. So uh, the way it works, we basically build a taxonomy of uh, a lot of different skills that uh, people need and a lot of different backgrounds that uh, people come from. For example, it's different if you want to work on your leadership skill and you're in engineering from tech, then if you want to work on your sales skills and you work in, for example, in insurance, right? So uh, on this taxonomy of skills, we have uh, over 2,000 experts from 56 different countries, each one specializes on something different. And then the, what the platform does is basically match these people to individuals or groups based on what they're trying to achieve. And uh, we developed a lot of very sophisticated ways to understand the impact of each development sprint. Everything is done in sprints. So it's usually like three to five sessions around a very specific objective. And we basically developed a way with our technology to not only match them with the right expert, but to also measure the impact on the individual and the business KPIs. 
Can you take us back to 2019 when you were first launching, you know, or first building the company? What was it about this problem that made you say, yep, that's it. I want to solve this problem. So actually, um, it started with my one of my co-founders. His name is Dan. So before joining me, Dan was a COO, he's our COO today, but he was a COO in a fast-growing tech company, a data company. And basically what he started seeing as a COO was that people started leaving the company, like they had a high voluntary attrition. So we tried to understand why. So we did some exit interviews, some surveys, and he, he, it appeared that people were leaving because they didn't feel the company invests enough in their development. So he said, great. So uh, I have a problem. I have money. Let's throw money on the problem. And uh, so we invested in a lot of learning and development solutions he could find. And uh, then he tried to measure if it worked. So number one, if it worked, then it impacted the voluntary attrition, but also he tried to understand if it helped the people like to be better. For example, he measured the amount of escalations people are doing. And uh, he saw that after six months, he basically had no impact on attrition or anything about their performance. So it's kind of like, okay, I spent a lot of money on this problem and no one solved this for me. So then he gave me a call and he knew I had some uh, experience in this space. And he asked me, Omar, how do you create effective employee development? And my intuitive response was, nobody really knows. Now, why nobody really knows? Because this space, the learning development space is not working with data. So if you do not have data, if you're not doing A-B testing, you basically do not know if you're making any impact and you're not making better. You're just doing the same things over and over again. So then we understood, okay, this is like an interesting mountain to climb and we started working on Growspace. And who's the main buyer then or influencer that you're targeting? Is it learning and development folks? Is it HR? Who are you typically selling to? Exactly. Learning and development or um, like chief learning officers, chief people officers, VPHR, director of learning and development. Do you see a difference? Like if you're selling to a director of learning and development versus a director of HR, like are they worried about different things and concerned about different things or is it essentially the, the same thing? So usually the director of learning and development reports to like the VPHR, for example, or the chief people officer. So uh, this is just a learning development is one function in HR. So it's basically it reports to HR. So it's kind of like asking, you know, the CFO, I don't know, do you care about your accounting function, right? Or something like that. So it's a, yeah, so it's basically under HR. At what point does a company tend to kind of formalize that and, and hire a dedicated team member for L&D? So the ratio of learning and development professionals to employees is approximately one to 500. And usually companies, depending on the industry, will hire their first learning and development hire at 300 to 500 employees. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Can you paint a picture for us of what it's like to be a learning and development leader today? Yes. So basically what you're trying to do as a learning and development leader is understanding what the business needs. 
like what are the needs, where are the gaps of managers, of talents, of salespeople, of engineers, of uh, specific groups within the organization like DNI, ERG, or a lot of different groups. So there are a lot of populations in the organization. And then what they're trying to do is understand where their gaps are and provide them with the right learning development solutions that will help them and support them to be more successful in their roles. And what are you doing to rise above the noise with these folks? Because I've spoken to a number of companies that aren't doing what you're doing, but you know they are targeting learning and development leaders. And they've told me that there's just a lot of noise in this space. And there's a lot of companies in this space, and it can be overwhelming for them. What marketing tactics and strategies are you using to rise above all that noise? So I think to rise about a noise, again, you can use a marketing tactics or you can just build a very, very differentiated model, right? I mentioned uh, Seth Godin's uh, Purple Cow. So when we started the business, the learning development space was mostly like 99% face-to-face, the human-to-human development uh, piece uh, before COVID. And then COVID hit and today a lot of companies uh, like uh, working virtually became the norm. So it means that a lot of the learning, the human-to-human learning development went online and just our model, you will not find a company that does uh, what we do and maybe small one because again, so we basically created a new category that we and also industry leading industry analysts, we call it skill mastery platform. So what was there before GrowSpace started? So there were coaching platforms like companies who provide one-on-one coaching. And there were some workshops, uh, like a platform is usually not digital. And then a very large like service providers, like very, very low tech service provider that just provided those services. And then a lot of like just single vendor, like individuals. And we basically took all of that and created something like a, that's much more holistic and robust and measurable and data-driven in one place. So today, you will not find a real competitor in the space, but you can think of growth space as replacing a lot of like individual vendors, sometimes they're coaching companies, sometimes a workshop providers, just, and you do it in one place in a much more flexible, efficient, and accurate way. What was the journey like to finding product market fit? For all founders, I know that can be a a long journey and a a painful journey. So what was it like for you? So I think one thing I like about the way GrowSpace evolved is sometimes the founders think of an idea, work a year or so in developing uh, like the first, like the MVP, and then go to market and then learn something. So we basically went to market. Basically, the first thing we did was building a presentation and going to customers, right? That was the first thing. And then once customer bought what we had to sell, we started developing everything, like developing the product, the technology, et cetera. So I would say the product market fit was very fast because we did a lot of iterations with the customers. And basically, we had customers before we had anything else. So when you're doing that and people pay you and then they give you feedback, so you build a product based on what you're learning from the customers and not based on just high-level hypothesis. How have you seen the messaging and positioning evolve since you launched? So 
We had a messaging always that changes based on uh, the market and uh, based on uh, who you're selling to, etc. So I think if initially, like in 2020, 2021, 2022, the messaging was more about scaling. So it was a lot around scaling, learning, development, like making it really scalable. And so scalability was a problem. Today, the messaging shifted more into efficiency. Like what our claim to fame today and the reason we're uh, selling to a lot of Fortune 500s or even Fortune 50 customers is because we, we've built a model that creates better value at a significantly lower cost than the alternatives they're using today. Can you give us an idea of the type of growth that you're seeing? And obviously, I know you're a private company, so any metrics that you're okay with sharing, our audience always loves to hear metrics and numbers. Yeah, again, uh, we're not uh, disclosing our revenues and uh, stuff like that, like everything that's not public, but we're seeing, I would say that, like, again, I I will talk about the SaaS metrics. So in growth, since inception, we were always in like the um, top quartile, I would say even like a top 10% uh, of uh, startups uh, since inception uh, until today. Uh, Usually you have the triple, triple, double, double of startups. So with us, it was more like, you know, we probably in the first year we grew, I would say uh, five, uh, six X again, depending when you're, uh, since when you're accounting. And then since then we grew like four X, three X. So these are, more or less, the growth numbers. What are your thoughts around your market category? So I'd introduced you as an outcome-driven employee development platform. I think I probably got that from your LinkedIn or the company LinkedIn page. Is that the category? Is it a learning and development platform? How do you think about the market category that you're in? So learning and development platform is a broader category. So we operate in the learning and development, and basically a learning and development platform can be LinkedIn Learning, or it can be an LMS, like Cornerstone or LXP, like a degree, for example. So the best definition of what we do is a skill mastery platform. And I think it's a phrase that uh, Josh Burson, who is a leading uh, analyst in our industry, mentioned. And so it's skill mastery. So it's the supporting companies in helping their employees, like uh, upskill, reskill. So that's how we define the category in a more accurate way. You mentioned analysts there. What role do analysts play in your go-to-market? We are covered by a lot of different, like, you know, sometimes it's just uh, websites like a G2 that uh, named us a market leader in multiple categories. Sometimes you're covered by like a leading industry analyst. So yeah, you're trying to get in front of them, share your story. And then if they're excited about you, they will write about you. So uh one of the leading analysts in our um, uh, industries, uh, he's called uh, Josh Burson, and he wrote a very interesting piece about these uh, skill mastery platforms or capability academies, which is an adjacent category to what we do. And were you having conversations with him before that, You know, before he introduced that category term? Have you been trying to play a role in shaping that category and defining that category? Or did he introduce the term and you said, yep, that's it. That describes what we're doing. Yeah, so definitely. So we we talked to him and again, it's a it's a big company. So they have like a multiple analysts and uh, it was hard for them to define really what we are. And then they came up with this new category and they said, OK, there is a new generation of companies 
that provide this type of services to companies and GrowSpace is one of these companies who fit in. Okay, makes sense. Switching gears here a little bit, as I mentioned there in the intro, you've also raised $44 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising? Fundraising, it depends what's your stage. So uh, in a very early stage, you're just selling a dream. So uh, it's less, you, you do not have your SaaS metrics in place. But as you proceed and move forward to like, a, you know, a, a round A, round B, it's all about your SaaS metrics. So if you've got your SaaS metrics right, it's the easiest thing in the world. And if you do not have it, so I guess it's like a harder. So the interesting thing with us, it became easier and easier for us to raise money as our business evolved. Because in the beginning, again, back in 2019, we met a lot of people who just told us, hey, we do not invest in HR things, HR tech, right? So it was much harder to fundraise. And then we, we shared the story, but it wasn't backed by numbers and results and customers because we're just like starting. And then once we got to our A round, B round, uh, we didn't even have to create an investor deck because our SaaS metrics were so strong. So just we met investors, told them what we do, told them, I shared with them our SaaS metrics, and then we got the term sheets. So now if you were starting the company again today from scratch, what would be the number one piece of advice you'd give to yourself? That's a good question. I think number one advice is choose your investors carefully and choose your management team carefully. So eventually everything is people. And when you're managing a company, you have uh, your management team that is very crucial to your success. So every failure in hiring of uh, the exec management team costs a lot because you're onboarding them, you spend tons of energy, and then they're not good enough. So uh, do a lot of due diligence on these people. Try to get to their previous bosses, previous CEOs. Try to find someone who's connected to the CEOs so the CEOs actually tell you the truth about them and what's called back-channeling. So I think this was like pivotal. Since we started doing that, we basically, our failure rates in management hiring uh, dropped significantly. And the second thing is you cannot divorce from your investors. So choose your investors carefully. So most of our investors are great partners and I'm, I feel very fortunate to having them on board. But we took some shit from really early investors, like angel investors, that we didn't do the due diligence, didn't speak with their portfolio companies. And some of them, like just have one in mind, added us a lot of trouble. So I would say choose your investors carefully, understand who they invested in and talk to all of the CEOs, not only the references that they give you and do your work like legwork because once investor is in, it's very hard to get them out if you're not happy about it. Final question for you now, since we're getting close to being up on time. On the website, I saw that you're building the future of human-to-human development. And I thought that was just a very cool phrase. So what is the future of human-to-human development? And what's the future of growth space? Maybe just paint a picture for us for what this is going to look like maybe three to five years from today. So the future of human-to-human development is basically much, you know, the high-level world would be better. But think about it. What we do, again, is we enable companies to develop their people in a better way. What is better? So better is a more customizable, more granular, more personalized. So 
like if I'm uh, now giving a lecture to a hundred people about management or even providing kind of like off the shelf management training, it will not impact the managers the same like I will tailor very, very specific experts and content to the specific manager's needs. So the future of learning and development is much more accurate to watch what each individual needs and what the company needs. So um, it will be much more granular, much more accurate. It will be much more measurable. So the future of learning and development, you will understand kind of like, you know, in sales, in marketing, every dollar you invest, you try to understand what is the ROI. So you spent a dollar on advertising on the LinkedIn and you want to understand like how much a meeting cost if I generated it with a LinkedIn ads, for example. So you will do the same in learning and development and you will understand every dime I'm investing in my coaching, in my mentoring, in my uh, internal mentoring program, in my sales training, in my management workshops, what was the impact, the actual impact on the business KPIs? So that's basically the future. So it's much more accurate, it's much more connected to what people actually need. It's much more connected to the business and it's much more measurable. So that's uh, the future. I would say that this is also what we're building. So as a, what we call, again, a skill mastery platform that deals with human-to-human learning and development, so we will cover more uh, skills. We will make it easier for companies to measure their impact on business KPIs. And there's like, we will make it much easier for companies to launch, to understand what they need to build. We, we help companies to build assets in uh, learning and development, meaning uh, you created your management training or your sales training or your talent program with GrowSpace. So first you did it in a data-driven way. So you benefit from the wisdom of other companies who do similar things. And we just have a lot of data. So we understand what works, we understand which experts are better. So that's basically what we're doing. We're building something much more accurate, much more granular, customized, and measurable. Amazing. I love the vision. I love what you're building. And I love your approach to solving this problem. We are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. If any founders listening in want to follow along with your journey as you build and execute on this vision, where should they go? So first of all, it's a, our website is growspace.com. You can uh, connect uh, with me on LinkedIn. So uh, Omer Glass. And yeah, I think that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it and really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Brett. All right, keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 